0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the James Bond Complex. I'm the intrepid Double Seven, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the international man of mystery, Jason Kim. How's it going, Jason?
1: Doing well, Henry. Thanks for having me on a Monday night. It, it's always good to talk with you guys. So.
0: Yeah, we're talking about something that's a little more uh, in our wheelhouse, a little more direct related to our interests. Not that Matt and Edgar don't like this stuff either, but I think this kind of plays to your strong points. I wanted to talk to you about the the Bond brands, but particularly the cars that he drives. In the movies, but then the state of those same brands today, and I thought about it, about five brands or the kind of the main cars that that Bond drives. And I wanted to start off with Bentley, since Bentley is kind of the, the the brand that he drives in the novels, but also the first kind of like Q branch car that he has in the movies.
1: Oh, absolutely. And then... Just like in Goldfinger, he says, uh, he says, your Bentley's out for work for a while or it's out of service. So while the Bentley still holds a lot of its prestige, it's just not as common because, because one, it's just a lot more, uh, belongs to a very exclusive uh,
0: club of owners, is the best way to say it. And classically, it was, it was that as well, because Bond's cars in the, in the 30s were kind of like that too. The, the first one he had was the four and a half liter blower Bentley, which is, you know, technically just a straight up race car.
1: And and they do get their feet wet in the performance cars here and there, but it's not a huge presence. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in Never Say Never Again, when Connery's Bond drives to Shrublands or the second Shrublands, isn't that wasn't that a Bentley convertible to or Bentley
0: Roadster? I believe it is. Hang on, I'm to gonna... Yes, it was a night. It was a 37 for at a quarter liter a drophead coupe. So kind of more in the style of, of what Rolls Royce was doing since they were kind of owned by the same company at the time. So as we were saying, so the Bentley uh, Bentley was was uh, in Never Say Never Again. We saw it. from Russia with Love. We see it briefly now today. It's kind of a different ownership. It's like you were saying before. It's it, they're they're all bespoke. They're all custom made. They've always been kind of custom made for a long time. You were buying just. The chassis and the engine and bits and pieces and then it was going off to a coach builder to get all the body work now it's kind of owned by audi uh, or it's 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 in the volkswagen group but it's kind of under audi's i don't know steering of bentley right now almost like how bmw is kind of taking care of roles
1: mm-hmm. i could i think you can make a similar comparison yeah
0: so is the continental gt then a proper Bond-ish car does it does it really compare to the Aston Martin, say the just the DBS or the the uh, the Vanquish. Uh,
1: performance-wise, absolutely not. But uh, if you if he was ever to drive it to Monte Carlo or uh, drive down Savile Row in London, I think the content of Ben Bentley would absolutely be appropriate for the settings. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting insight on there. And what do you find, how do you find the the construction of, of modern Bentley is now, I mean, they're all hand built still, but the fact that they're kind of under Volkswagen, you think that's really changed anything in how they're built compared to how they were built before?
1: I, I really don't think so. I think, I mean, I think that's more of a business standpoint than anything else because uh, the manufacturing process is still intact from what it was in the 30s. And I think that's what Bentley made an ultimatum that if he were to get bought up by Volkswagen per se, that they still need to hold their signature workmanship. I usually see Bentley's the most common in UAE, so United Arab Emirates, so not just Abu Dhabi, not just Dubai, but Abu Dhabi and the other six Emirates of UAE. I've seen, like, if you guys ever follow the account holder of Supercar Blondie, she yeah. presents a lot of bentley's in and because she's based out of u8
0: oh i didn't know i thought she was based out of london oh, okay no it's it's, it's interesting because i mean i i do see a continental every once in a while but i think i've probably seen more astins and definitely more uh, of the other like luxury brands than uh that bentley is the ben the, the their suv is that made by bentley directly or is that made by audi with with Bentley's help,
1: I could be wrong on this, but I believe it's still. I think it's still him built, but they borrow borrow a lot of trade secrets,
0: Volkswagen. Hmm. Cool, interesting uh, perspective on on Bentley there. Moving on, kind of in the chronology of the films, the most seen and and the the best of the Bond, the most well known Bond vehicle is Aston Martin. How do you feel Aston Martin has evolved through the films and their choice of cars and how they're. I think we can have a lot of discussion on how they're doing today because they're still having kind of like a rocky time financially and and et cetera today.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is Aston Martin doesn't have a parent company like Bentley does. And so that's why they, they always have to go through different ownerships. I know owned by Ford I in the 90s. I'm not, I'm not saying this is a, a side-by-side comparison, but I think the quality of the Aston Martins or the status of the Aston Martins are reflected in the films. And this is what I mean. Like when Aston Martin appeared in goldfinger for the first time uh, right it still had a formula one team in the 60s and, and now it just resurrected with sebastian vettel driving again and then so we saw aston martin with the db with a former dbs under and b and we saw a glimpse of a dbs in q's 11 diamonds are forever and once we, we get to the 70s up uh, aston martin was going through its hardships. so and when pierce took over the role uh it still was going through its Troublesome. So you, I know Pierce drives the DB5 because it's a Mosh to Bond's roots, but he still had his deal, uh, deals with BMW because uh, that was the car at the time. And now, uh, once Daniel took over, he drives the dbs DB5, DB10, and now tim And tim what I'm trying to say is like, so based on the different chronology of the actors and the status of Aston Martin, uh, you could see in the films or financial s- standings of Aston Martin through, during the different decades.
0: I would just say it's better now than it was um, in the 80s, in the 90s, because in the 90s, we kind of had, they, they were reestablished, but they weren't back in the bond fold, and they only got back in the bond fold because of the deal with Ford and Bond, but before that, we kind of had the the Vantage, the V8 Vantage, Volante, Hardtop, the Living Daylights, Living Daylights, exactly, with Dalton, I was going to say License to Kill, but it uh, was Living Daylights, we kind of see it come back, and then they're not with Acid anymore, and then they come back with Acid, but only because They had Ford, so they got Jaguar at the same time and all that. Do you think the financial standing today, with all the news that we we hear about them today, is it kind of the same old story with Aston Martin, or is it going in a better direction, do you think?
1: I would say they're making the smart moves in terms of automotive trends, because even though I personally don't like it, they produce the DBX SUV, as well as they're trying to get into electric vehicles. And granted, Aston Martin will never sell, say, in terms of volume, because like you got to remember they. Those companies make, for each model or the best-selling models, they make 330,000 vehicles a a year versus Aston Martin makes, what, like, assemble 50 cars a year. So they've they've learned from their past mistakes. And Aston Martin's standing is definitely better than what it was in the 70s or the 90s. I don't know. I can't, I'm not going to be a bean counter and give you the exact financials. But I think the direction that they're taking and that even though, like, the latest Aston Martin DB10 or will always be the marketing glamour of the brand. That image will never get, you know, like pay their workers. So they also they keep that in mind and realize that they need to make cars that actually bring bread to the table, for the lack of a better word.
0: Do we think that that's really an electric car? Is that really what they're? I mean, I, I feel the same way as you do. Is I mean, I, I feel that there's so many people getting into the electric car game, and the Tesla's already you know, got a great market share. I kind of feel like Aston Martin, they're kind of a niche car maker anyway. Wouldn't it make more sense for Mercedes just to take a bigger stake in Aston Martin and just leave them alone? Kind of like Ferrari. I I wouldn't buy an electric Ferrari because to me, it defeats the purpose. And buying an electric Aston Martin for me... Kind of defeats the purpose of having an Aston Martin because it's kind of the equivalent. It's it's you're straddling the the GT side, but with the luxury side too. Like there's the performance factor, but you've got the luxury amendments as well. You're you're not trading one off for the other. If I want a luxury car, I wouldn't mind having an electric. If I want a sports car, I don't want any fancy stuff in it. I just want it to go fast and stop fast. But when you're an Aston Martin, you're kind of straddling the in between. You know, I I kind of feel like same thing for you. as was you don't want to give up too much on one side. I, I could you know compromise and say just give me a V8 hybrid instead of the V12. But
1: no, I think those are very valid points. And you know I was upset when Aston Martin last week announced that they are removing all their manual for all my powertrain friends out there they're removing the three pedal manual transmission. Cause like when I say manual transmission, they're like, Oh, dual clutch has manual, is manual transmission. Yeah. Like, That's not the same,
0: but no, it's not the same. The three, pe- three pedals uh, on the four is different so, than, you yeah, know, the but, quickie flappy paddle. It's not the same thing for me either.
1: I mean, I know I'm being facetious, but uh I, with that said, I mean, people still buy Aston Martin rapid you know, the the four door luxury Aston Martin's and, even though I scoff at people buying it, but people are still buying it. So, and, even though it's not the Aston Martin that a James Bond would ever drive per se, but people are still buying it. And I think that's what Aston Martin realized. And so they're, they're trying to get their foot into the game as well, too.
0: Yeah, I I, didn't, I I just see them doing it different ways um, rather than doing it that way. And I think that kind of segues nicely into the, the next brand that I wanted to, to bring up, and that's Lotus. I think, what was it, five years ago, they had Denny Bahar that was the new CEO of Lotus and they had a, an amazing rollout or an amazing plan for five brand new Lotuses, including bringing back a mid-engine Esprit. And they've just been making the Evora and the Exige and the Elise for the last 15 years with barely any changes, a little bump of power here and there. And
1: and then they made like electric versions of Elise here and there. And I feel like Lotus is definitely not... an in- in a very good financial standing or uh, market share standpoint. And if they ever bring back the Lotus Esprit or resurrect the the mid-engine Lotus Esprit to some certain extent, I would much rather see the next Bond actor drive that for one film at
0: least. And they had made a, I think it was a couple of years ago, they made a, I think it was the Evora 430 special edition. They made a Spy Love Me special edition. But they just—it's just because it was white. Like there was nothing else special of it. It wasn't a V eight. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that fancy. But I, re- I remember that they had this whole business plan where they had a whole rollout, five brand new models, and the the Esprit was coming back as a mid engine car, and everyone was all excited. And then, poof, they went bankrupt again. And and I think that's what Aston realizes that they—you can only
1: live off a of Bond's image or or Tom Tom Brady's. Image. But he also drives an Aston Martin, by the way. Un- unfortunately, <laughs> imagine endorsements for so long. You know, give you the glamour, but they'll never pay the bills. So they need so I think Aston Martin realized that. And Lotus, I mean, I wish I understand their game plan, but I hope the best for them because I would love to see a spree made. And the last time I saw Lotus was in Pretty Woman when Richard Gere drives it, drives his friends, uh 1990, Lotus's
0: Briest one, and he picks up Julia Roberts on the streets. Right. It's it's not something you don't see in the movies anymore, and it's not something that you see. Uh, I I haven't seen one on the streets in in quite a while, and I don't even think that they're sold in Canada anymore. I know that in the States, for you guys, um, they just sold a brand-new 2014 Lotus Evora yesterday. It was the oldest brand-new car still on the lot. Ever recorded in history and have been sitting there for seven years unsold, so it's it's completely brand spanking new. Moving on from Lotus, probably the bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, how they're doing financially, things like that. Moving on to someone who's maybe in a little bit of a better position BMW, who've made fantastic cars. Oh,
1: BMW's doing fantastic
0: financially, they've got, and, and I don't even, know about
1: fantastic cars.
0: But I mean, they've had their missteps. And even now, I kind of, I, I I, really hate the way that they name their cars now because it's so, it's so confusing. I, I kind of agreed with them when they went with the one, with the two, the three, the four, the five, the six, the seven, and then the eight to kind of denote how many doors you had. But they make a four series, which is supposed to be their coupe as a four door, but they also have the three series, which is the same car, which is a four door. So I'm like, in my head, that's it's, it. It's more confusing than Mercedes was in the mid '90s, early 2000s.
1: I feel like uh, BMW's glory days were in the '80s when their M5 was best. So if you, when you see Mission Impossible Fallout, the, the 85 M5 that he drives, I think that's like that's one of the times when BMW hit its peak powers. And granted, the M5s today are great. I mean, if you could afford one, but however, I mm. think. BMWs have some of the pain in the ass, but you have to go to a dealership, or I like to call them the stealer ship, because, <laughs> because uh, their cars are designed in such ways that you have to go to a stealer ship to get, because they have the tools to open up your engines and do an oil change and whatnot. You can't just go to a Jiffy Lou, I mean, unless if you're changing tires, but that's they monopolize the market in that way. That's how they get at their owner's.
0: And I find that's kind of, that's, isn't uh, John Deere getting sent to court by a a group of farmers just because uh, for almost the same reasons that the right to work on your own car, I think i say that's kind of a guilty pleasure. I mean, if you're a car nut, you should, you want to work on your own car. I mean, I follow uh, a number of pages and a number of groups just on DIY and, and, you know, modding cars and there's such a culture for that in North America, um, i kind of feel like, you're putting everyone at a disadvantage by saying you have to come to the dealership because we're the only ones who have these exclusive tools. It's
1: Luckily, my mechanic friends were certified at BMW, so they can they can actually work on BMWs without paying the, paying the extortion prices that a dealership would charge you. But, right. Because like I have a car, what models that BMW sells the most in the year or the past seven years. Right. it's been the same car what's the what's a what's the what model do they sell the most in the or have they sold the most in the past seven years
0: in the year. past seven years i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna want to say the x5 or the x3 or something silly like that because of suVs but i mean you got it, you got it. it
1: you got it right you got it right it's the x5 i mean x5 and x3 they are cars that they sell around the world today and they're manufactured in south carolina where i used to because I used to work for Michelin tires, and then mm. Michelin, the Michelin plant and headquarters that I worked at is only like a twenty-minute drive from the BMW headquarters. Because every single BMW SUV, whether it's right-hand drive or left-hand drive, are built and assembled in South Carolina.
0: Oh, I thought it was only the American market ones that were made in South Carolina. Oh no,
1: in- initially it was because because uh, Americans love SUVs. Right, because uh, that, that's why they came to, to they came to America because like American the Americans love SUVs, but as SUV market has grown in popularity, any SUV that's any SUV around the world is built in South Carolina, and that that same goes for Mercedes
0: Benz. Wow, to, I didn't I didn't realize that they were they. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that the market for SUVs in, in the United States and in China is just I mean insane. Um, I look at just all the, the big three American companies. They don't, none of them make a sedan anymore, or they've, they've pulled production. Uh, Chrysler doesn't build one anymore. Uh, Dodge hasn't built one in years. I mean, they the, aside from the Charger, but even at that, they don't build small cars anymore. Everyone wants, you know, I, I drive a Dodge Caravan. I mean, that's what I need, but... I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't think of going back to a small car for a family. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. And I think everyone wants an SUV. To wrap up the BMW, I
1: think BMW came at a right time for Pierce because uh, BMW were the premier cars in the '90s, and and a uh, British, a lot of British uh, royalty, not just British royalty, but the British public service, a lot of British secret service, as well as just the politicians, all are transported in BMW, So so I thought it was very appropriate for Bond or Pierce's
0: Bond in the 90s. Then. What do you think is next for for 007? Uh, once, does he leave Aston Martin and he, he moves on when Craig moves on? Uh, do, do you foresee him um, getting into an electric car anytime soon? What do you think the future holds? Or what would you like to see uh, Bond in next?
1: I don't know if I want a specific uh, partnership specific partnership for Bond to take because like, you never know what could happen in a 10-year span. I would like to see them just go kind of like one-off and kind of like what they do like in Mission Impossible. I mean, granted, like, but I want I don't want Bond to necessarily drive the latest cars. I want Bond to drive some, you know, a very badass but reliable, like 80s, 70s car for his next films. It doesn't have to be fully gadget Like what Tom Cruise did in Mission Impossible Fallout, like, drive an 80s BMW.
0: So, not necessarily a modern car, but going back to you know the 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 prime heyday of. When everyone was making kind of a reliable, sporty car that everyone could buy. I mean, even going back to to BMW quickly, um, I I thought the Z3 and even the 7 Series were kind of a little bit wrong for Bond. I mean, the 7 Series is an executive car. Does he need that? Couldn't he have been in an M3 or an M5 at that point and have, you know, a little bit more fun with, uh, you know, a tuner, not, not necessarily a tuner car, but a car that had a little bit more... Yep. I mean, I know Pierce didn't like the Z3 himself. That's what he said in the Gold <laughs> interview.
1: But uh, because the car's too small, so don't for the next act, don't make a long-term partnership deal up. Just drive like a new model. Or-
0: is the 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 Q gadgeted Bond car? Do you think that's kind of a little bit overdone? I mean, like most modern cars are are performant enough that you don't need to add th- these gadgets. Like you know, a, a, the map from Goldfinger is not really relevant anymore. It, do we just want to go back to, like, uh, you, you feel we should just go back to, like, straight driving? Um, you know, like, Quantum of Solace had a great, you know, pre-title sequence with the driving. Uh, could have been maybe a little bit more action-packed, but back into that style? No, I, I think I still like the the
1: gadget leader vehicles. I think it's been underused in the Craig era, for sure, because we've only seen it in one film, or about to see it in a second film.
0: So, uh, so, like, a mid-80s uh, German sports car with you know a couple of Q gadgets built in would be your uh, your fantasy Bond car.
1: Oh, absolutely! Like I will lo- I mean, I- I'm the I'm the very outlier who says this, but I loved both the Audi the, the two Audi that Timothy Dalton drove in The Living Daylights and right. I hell because I mean I-, I I have a huge soft spot for st- station wagons too. So so I want in the next Bond films like it doesn't have a cute cute gadget laden car, but at the same time have bond like steel, like uh eighties, eighties Audi S3 and just goes on a badass car, kinetic
0: Yeah, car I mean, why not? I mean, if you use it to its advantage, you know, uh all wheel drive a little bit off road. Down- and, uh...
1: and, or even a, or even a eighties Land Rover for all I care. Cause the like, I, I mean, I have a huge spot, soft spot for eighties. So, as you can see, and
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no you yeah. know what I like 80s cars too I mean I was big I I, I love the fact that the the V8 is back because I mean I think that was kind of a a really good look for Aston Martin back then um uh, I mean I love 80s muscle cars I think that would be you know uh, pretty far-fetched unless he was you know going back down through the you know the southern United States and that could be a a cool kind of nod to um to a sergeant uh Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper, Pepper kind of, yeah, kind of fun. One of those scenes instead of being in an AMC Hornet, you know, driving around in a Z-28 Camaro or a maybe not a Firebird because it's a little too Burt Reynolds, yeah. but, you know, something cool like that.
1: Have, have John Bond just drive a random car and have a very kinetic car chase is what I want to
0: see. Beat up Honda Civic, you know, where he just sticks <laughs> a screwdriver in the, it's unlocked a nice and simple. Cool. Yeah, well, I, don't,
1: uh, I don't know about that, but, but, but I mean, I, I would like to see, I mean, depending on where Aston Martin heads in the next decade, I mean, this is a really dream list, but if I could ever see Bond drive a Jaguar, his Jaguar XK, uh, that that'd be fantastic.
0: I kind of always wondered why. Um, I mean, we've seen Jags only recently because of the whole Ford deal that kind of trickled down back to to Jaguar Land Rover for the last couple of movies, where we've seen them a little more frequently. But I, I would love to see him in a, in a Jag coupe somewhere, like even if it was uh, if he had had an XKR or or um, like you were saying, the, the, those were fantastic cars and that would have been a good look for him. Um, it's kind of doesn't play well for Jaguar because I mean they do have a lot of sports cars and not making as much anymore. Uh, I would have bonded an F-type would have worked for me. I think he
1: would have. But I think it's also it also creates like a sacrilegious. View for some of the hardcore Bond fans because like Aston and Jaguar have that rivalry, so it's like why would you drive a rival's carp So that's why I say yeah. drive a '60s XK instead of a instead of a F-type instead.
0: Yeah, I guess if, if you'd rather than go modern, yeah. But I mean, even in the modern, I mean, if he had gone to uh, when they when Lotus had come out and said that they were going to make some new models, I wasn't against them putting a new Lotus model in a Bond movie, and I wouldn't be against them putting a a souped-up uh, Bentley Continental GT um, in a Bond movie either. I mean, I think it, it would have its place. Aston Martin's going to have to move over one day. I mean, it's not I, – I can't see them going on forever. I mean, I'd love to because I love Aston's, but at the same time, uh, it's it's all kind of in the business details too.
1: I mean, I would like to see Audi. I mean, Audi makes a lot of great luxury SUVs. See- not SUV, Well, they do make great luxury SUVs, but a lot of uh, sports sedans or or even their station wagons. I would love to see Bond drive one. Like I said, just steal one and and find and have cute, cute, super um, gadget laden and make a great car chase.
0: An old Audi uh, all road.
1: Old Audi all Road or even a, a new, the recent like Audi R six station wagons. Because oh, I oh yeah. I would,
0: yeah. Yeah. I guess where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, um, perfect. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jason, for uh, taking the time to, uh, to co-host with me today. Uh, what do you have going on, uh, in the future? Do you have anything that you, uh, that, that's coming up that you want to share with everyone?
1: Uh, continue my F45 journey. Cause I continue my bond 25 business challenge until the time that comes out.
0: Yeah, I think we're all in that boat. I think you're doing it better with the videos you've been posting. I think you're doing it better than than some of us right now. You're you're kind of in a good spot. I think. Uh, um, why don't you tell everyone a little bit what the the philosophy with F45 is? Because I don't think everyone is familiar with uh, with what they do.
1: Uh, F45 stands for functional. That's what you stretch, you work out, rest in between stations, and so and every workout is 45 minutes. So it's it's functional movement. So it's not like we're not doing like wall balls, like in cross. I'm not bad-mouthing CrossFit by the way, but mm-hmm. we don't do like movements that, so a lot of movements such as the deadlifts or, or lunges, we're doing movements that are based on a regular human movement on a daily basis. Each, uh, each workout class, there's about, some days there are nine, some days there are 12 stations. And you go through each workout about 40, do about 40 sets and each set being like 40 seconds of work. 15 to 10 sec, 20, 15 to 20 seconds of rest. And that all adds up to be 45 minutes of workouts. And on Saturdays are 60 minute classes. And my gym personally is owned by Mark Wahlberg.
0: Oh, nice. Nice. So have you met him or, uh, <laughs> I have,
1: I have not met him, but, uh, our owners, our studio owners are actually his business lawyers.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. So he, oh, well, that's uh... a, ha-
1: I've, watched, I've read uh, Simon Westerhouse so Daniel Craig's interview. So i watched David Terizky's videos and as well as read his articles on Men's Health Journal. I mean, he's trained not just Daniel Craig, but a lot of other actors for action films like Chris Hemsworth or, or right. I don't know about Chris Hemsworth, but like Gerard Butler's another client of his. It's not like, I'm not saying Daniel Craig did F45 per se, but his workouts were very similar to what an F45 workout would be. His workouts were always 45 minutes, three days a week were strength three, the other two or three days were cardio and stretch mm-hmm. cardio and stretching or yoga days as well too.
0: Yeah. I think what I was saying is though, I think one of the things that gets overlooked a lot is, uh, is stretching. Cause I know stretching was a big part of, um, Oh, I used to do it all the time. The, uh, P90X. P90X. Uh, yeah. P90X whole side. There was, there was yoga in that. There was stretching in that too, but, uh, F45 seems to incorporate it more into every time you work out or, uh, not per se, but we have a stretching class separately. Okay.
1: I know I keep talking about, I mean, I know I emphasize like what F45 is. So, so what make, what I like about F45 is anyone from any physical level can work out the same class and just modify it. Let's say if I was working. So now, because like for dumbbell bench presses, I I, I started at 20 pound, 20 pound dumbbell presses and, and now i progressed up to 44 pound dumbbell press. So 44 pounds on each, each arm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then Mark Wahlberg, so like let's say if I was working out with Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg would use 66 pound dumbbells and I would use four, four, four pound dumbbells. And so we could easily, so regardless of physical fitness level, you could work out in the same class and do the same thing, but just obviously modify it to your own levels.
0: Right. But what you're also saying is you're two thirds Mark Wahlberg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh I would I, mean, I am taller than Mark Warburg so, but if I get two-thirds of Mark Warburg's strength, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Oh uh, uh, really cool, Jason. Uh, well, I'm glad you you share that with us because I think that's uh, um, kind of important for for everyone to kind of get inspired by other people. I mean that's how I try and stay inspired is by talking to you and Edgar about, about fitness. And I think Matt's the same way as, you know, he's, he's trying to get inspired uh, by you guys too. Um, I've been having I I don't want to say a rough go at it. I'm kind of got a a hit pause just this week, Uh, but trying to get into it a little bit more. It's just, I find it just hard. I mean, you, you seem to be able to get the time, but I've got three kids and getting the time is what's difficult, but I've got a, you know, I've got a whole home gym. I've got, the equipment i've got an elliptical machine i've got the the weeder home gym i've got i've got all the equipment and just all the excuses at the same time <laughs>
1: and then uh you're more than welcome to follow the f45 instagram page because they post a lot of workouts too so and you obviously do it at your own pace of course
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely well thanks for uh, joining me tonight uh jason and uh thanks for your insight on the automotive world something that you're you're much closer to than i am
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love to share my expertise. Obviously, my background and my personal life to Bond himself. So,
0: excellent. Well, thanks very much, Jason.
1: Yep. Take care,
0: Emery. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Intrepid Double Seven podcast here on the James Bond Complex. Please follow us on our social media accounts at the Janes Bond complex and at double seven intrepid on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter until then. Thanks for listening.